think everybody said apple. Uh, what happens if I toss this in the air? <laughs> It'll come back down, right? You guys probably have heard of Newton and the whole thing where he sat under the tree and the apple fell and he's like, oh, gravity. You know, I'm not sure if that's true. But there are certain things, there's certain laws, natural laws, right? We understand, I mean, this, this is an apple. An apple by any other name is still an apple, right? Oh, oh, gravity, you throw it up, it's going to come down. Certain things we all just accept as true. But yet our world right now, and, you know, to be honest, throughout centuries, there's areas of thought drifting to more relativism, as in you can define your own truth. But we know in certain things, no matter what you believe, truth is still truth, right? Four plus four is eight, no matter what. And I know, so, oh, that kids will feel bad if they think it's seven, so let them say it's seven. No, right? Four plus four is eight. The way th that's how it works. Now, we understand that, and, and most rational humans will agree on that. But yet, when it moves to the idea of spiritual truth, we get a little bit more flimsy with it. A little bit more, oh, spiritual truth you can define for yourself, right? That's, that's even less absolute than the things of, of gravity or natural laws or, or anything like that. But yet, we see in Scripture that there is truth. In fact, if we are believers, we are followers of Jesus Christ, we can trace our faith, what we believe, all the way back to the apostles. Kind of cool, right? All the way back to uh, that first day of Pentecost, which we celebrated last week would be that day of Pentecost, where the, it was 120 or so of those first disciples received the Holy Spirit and preached and thousands were saved. As we've seen, God works through his people, not around them. We could trace our faith all the way to them. But the question is, has it changed? Has the truth changed from then to now? Have we, have we matured, right, in science and all these things? I was like, oh, we don't have to believe the things they believed anymore. We have matured through that. We're smarter now. We're wiser now. Uh, we're more progressive now. We can, we've moved past that. Or is truth the same Truth. There was a study put out by Legionnaire Ministries, um, and it, it's called the State of Theology. And they, they gave this study, you know, the survey to Americans in general and to evangelicals in particular. Evangelicals, those who claim to believe the Bible is, is the one way. The results were really, really bad. Uh, in fact, most of those who claimed to be evangelicals claimed about the same belief as those who were not believers in Christ at all. Uh, one of the questions is, does God change, right? Does God change? 48% of evangelicals said, yes, God changes, which if God changes, that's great for us because as society changes, he can cha we can change morality to fit what we want, right? 56% uh, believe God accepts the worship of all religions. 56% of those who claim to be evangelicals will say, God also accepts the religion, right? The worship of Buddhists, Muslims, on down the list, which means they don't truly accept what the scripture says, that there's one God, right? And what he says in here is that any worship of another God is not a real God, right? Any idol, it's not a real God. And so God does not accept those. That means a, over than half of those who claim to be evangelicals are actually universalists, not believing in the exclusive claims of the Bible, meaning they're actually rejecting the gospel. That's a little spooky. And when I read that study, I went, we can't claim to be evangelical anymore, 
right? That is warped so much, we can't even claim that. Now, here's something kind of cool. We, I sent this survey to y'all. Um, if you're on our list, you, you got that. Um, and our results, we had almost 90 of you, of you filled it out. Our results are really good. So thank you for that. No, seriously, that's really encouraging. And that's a great praise because there was a piece of me that's like a little afraid of, all right, how are we doing in, in groups and in discipleship? Um, Y'all are pretty good. So that's great. But, but maybe we can uh, clarify a few things. A.W. Tozer, I love this quote. He says, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Because God has not changed. His morality has not changed. His plan of salvation has not changed for 2,000 years. So one of the benefits we have when, when life is happening, we can go back to, well, what did they believe? Well, here's what happened in about uh, 50 or so uh, A.D., uh, about 150 years roughly after Jesus, eh, 58, yeah, no, less than that, 90, whatever, do the math. It's about 50 years after the death of John. The apostle John, who was probably the youngest of the apostles, the one uh, says, he, I'm the one that Jesus loved. Uh, he was the one when they had the dinner, was sitting next to him. Anyway, John, 50 years after his death, right, and, and everything had, had kept going, he had disciples, and anyway, Time came when there was other false teaching that looked similar moving in, and the church leaders then said, all right, we, we need something. We need something to distinguish, because things are getting a little bit nuts, and so they wrote what is called the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed, they wrote down, here's our basic beliefs of what we find in Scripture in order to distinguish. Uh, there was a group called Gnostics. Uh, the Gnostics were very, probably the, the greatest threat to early Christianity. They believed there was special knowledge that came from God, right, to, to special people. And so if you are a, a Gnostic, you have, we have secret knowledge. And they thought Jesus was one who brought that secret knowledge. But they believed that the flesh is bad and the spirit is good. And so we are, we are spirits trapped in a body. And because of that, Jesus didn't have a body like ours. Well, the Apostles' Creed addresses that. Right, uh, And then there was a guy named Marcion. He grew up in the church, and he's like, yeah, I'm not so crazy about all of this stuff. And so he took some Gnosticism and adjusted it, and he built his own church that looked similar. But he also rejected the idea of the physical being made good at the beginning. And we were also spirits trapped in a body. So he said the creation of physical was an accident. So the God of the Old Testament, either he was evil or ignorant and accidentally created, and the God of the New Testament is a different God. That belief has actually continued today into some avenues. And it's somewhat close. So Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is our warning that's going to kind of set this up. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. If you didn't know it, the world is trying to conform us into its image, trying to pull us away from the truth found in Scripture. But as Jesus followers, it is vital that we stand on the historic and unchanging truths found in Scripture. So we are starting this series this summer on the Apostles' 
Creed. And so to start that out, I'm going to read it. Now, we have bookmarks. If you got a bulletin coming in, you got a bookmark. If you didn't, there's some out there on the info table. You can grab it. Um, but I'm going to read it. Follow along if you have one. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the grave. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. I know, isn't that awesome? So the person who read that, kind of cool, we got together and you know, recorded her, and uh, she read it through the first time and went, wow. <laughs> and I thought that was a really cool response. That should, as we read this, it's like, oh, wow, that kind of sums up what we need to believe. During about the time that this was written, uh, Irenaeus of Lyons said this. He says, error never shows itself in its naked reality in order to not be discovered. On the contrary, it dresses elegantly so that the unwary may be led to believe that, that it is more truthful than truth itself. So that the unwary, here's why we're going through this, so that we won't be unwary. So that we will understand the truth of scripture and we will be able to distinguish truth from falsehood, because again, it's going to come at us all over the place, in school, at work, on, on meet everywhere. It's going to come at us to conform us, to change us, and we won't change. So as we're going to go through this, there, we're going to look at three, each week, three purposes for the creed. The first purpose is confession, confession. The Apostles' Creed is what only a genuine Jesus follower can confess as true, uh, Originally, uh, the creed was called the symbol, the symbol of the faith. It was one of those because, again, there was, there was these others that were close, even people who had been in the church, but then changed some things and went, we're still in the church. And those are going, ah, no, you're rejecting some core truths. And so it became what they called a symbol of the faith, that if you could confess this, you're a great, all right, I'm, I'm in, I'm part of that. It was mainly used first in baptism. When somebody was going to be baptized, right, they were confessing they believe in Jesus Christ. And this is what you confess. And so they would actually read this and they'd respond, do you believe? Bloop, I do. Do you believe? Bloop, I do. So it's a confession. I agree with this. So as we go through this, if you see something like, ooh, I can't say that, then you need to have a talk with somebody, right? You, you need to ask questions, somebody in your group. You can write it down on your uh, info card and put it in, right? If you have questions, that's okay, right? right? That's not good. This isn't like you read it and go, oh, I disagree, I'm out, or I don't understand, I'm out. No, let's seek clarification. But this is what a true believer can confess as true. Some of those on the fringe, and honestly, I mean, those that look close, they couldn't confess this as true. Uh, some, they could read some of it, but then they'd have to skip others. So it's a confession. It, it's kind of like a, a hand stamp. You know, if you go to a sporting event and you pay your money and they stamp your hand, Right? You can go, look, I have the hand stamp. I, I mean, I'm, I'm part of the true believers. And so we are going to read this together each week, that we can confess it as true, that we are part of this group. Two, clarity. 
Confession and then clarity. The creed clarifies what the Bible teaches about the fundamentals of the faith. This is important. We're not going to teach the creed. The creed is not the authority. We're going to teach the Bible. The Bible's the authority. The problem is, you know, if you want to share the basic truths from Scripture, you're going to have to read like a whole thing. And so the creed was helpful to clarify. It's like, all right, here's the basics we found all throughout the Bible. Let's boil it down into this one acceptable statement. And so that's helpful. So we're going to take what it says. We're going to go to Scripture and say, see, this is what Scripture teaches. Clarity. And then here's the third one. It'll help make us complete. True faith requires that we accept what the Bible teaches about God. All that the Bible teaches about God. A lot of times people want to come to the Bible like a buffet. Right? Oh, I like this piece. I'm going to avoid this. Oh, I like that. Right? You're going to skip over. The Bible is more like mom's dinner. Right? You got to eat the fried chicken and the okra. Right? <laughs> we can't skip over the things that we don't like. But, but again, that's some of the relativism, moral relativism that has creeped into the church. Oh, we like forgiveness. We don't like judgment. We'll just throw that out. Right? In the creed, he lays out ju judgment is real. We cannot skip over that. Right? The truth is still the truth. And so we must accept the truth, all of it. When believers recited the creed, they were pledging allegiance to Jesus and openly rejecting popular narratives of the day. So that's what we're going to do each week as we recite it. We are going to see, pledge allegiance, right? Remember in school when we used to do that, pledge allegiance to the flag? This is way deeper. We pledge allegiance to Jesus. We are in, he is Lord of our life, right? And we are rejecting at the same time certain isms of the day, right? Materialism, relativism, and it was the same back then. That's why they recited it, to distinguish. We are rejecting what the world is trying to conform us into, and we are being transformed into what God wants. So today, we're starting the creed. You can look at it, and we're going to go through, I believe, that's it. That's it, I believe. So turn, <laughs> Romans 10, 9, and 10. Again, we're not teaching the creed. We're going to teach what Scripture teaches. So we're going to teach today on Romans 10, just verses 9 and 10. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you. Grab that, and it's page 1047. 1047, Romans 10, 9 and 10. This is the verse that I use more than any other when I'm talking to someone about salvation. How can I be saved? How do I know I'm saved? This is where I go every single time. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I believe, right here, I believe, I think this is kind of cool in the creed, it says I believe, not we believe. It, it's an individual claim, I agree with this, which puts me part of this larger group. Meaning we must believe, you must believe. A, a lot of people will say, are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved, why? Because I grew up in the church. My family's Christians. I'm American, and America is a Christian nation, right? No. Each one of us must agree to this and confess it. And so look at this, this passage here. And again, this, I love this. It all goes together. But this was the first creed. The very first one at the beginning was this. Jesus is Lord. You see that in Romans 10, 9. Jesus is Lord. That was the first thing that was used to distinguish believers 
from non-believers. And so that right there is significant. Jesus is Lord. What are they claiming with that? Well, Lord is a very special and unique word. Uh, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but it was translated into Greek about 200 years before Jesus. That was called the Septuagint. So during the time of Christ and during the time of the early church, the main Old Testament scripture that was used was in Greek, again, the Septuagint. Well, God's name is Yahweh in the Old Testament. In Hebrew, he presents his name as Yahweh to Moses, which means I am. I am that I am. I always was. I always will be. I mean, it's a great name that claims a lot about God's character, his eternality, all of that. Well, his Yahweh, when they translated to Greek, they translated that to Lord. And so this claim, Jesus is Lord, is a claim that Jesus is one with Yahweh. If you'll notice, uh, the idea of this creed is Trinitarian. Our God is one revealed in three. By the way, those of you who filled out the survey, we got 100% on that one. I'm not, that's great. Meaning you all believe, at least all of you that filled it out, uh, you might not understand how that works exactly, right? But, but we all agree God is three in one. And so that's what we see. Jesus is Lord, meaning he is divine, one with the Father, and also Lord means king, the, the one in charge. So that's this confession, I, an identity of who Jesus is as one with the Father, and also a confession that he is Lord of my life. He's the one in charge. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That was their claim. That moved into the New Testament. Yes, the Lord our God is one, and Jesus is that Lord. In Romans 10.9, I want to read that again. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice it's not telling us to do anything yet. True salvation is based on belief. It's based on a heart belief, not on religious activity. Now, I, I believe this is one of the isms that we've seen maybe in the last hundred years a lot in, in this country that this goes against legalism, right? That if I do all these things, I'm saved, I'm right with God. God will accept me if I do these things. No, that's the great truth about the gospel. It's not based on what you do or what you've done. This is great. This is secret. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you confess Jesus as Lord, he will forgive you for what you've done. That's, that's awesome news and give you salvation. But it's, so it's not about what we do, but about what we believe, what we believe is true. Now, I'm going to do a little tangent real quick, and we're going to come back to this. What is our belief based on? Let's be totally honest, right? It's based on Scripture, right? The creed and our belief is based on what is found in Scripture. So if we reject this, we're kind of hosed. I, I mean, to be honest, if we reject that this is true, we have nothing to base our faith on. 2 Timothy 3, we're going to look at a few verses in Scripture that talks about Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 19. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. What's that say? God breathed, meaning literally God breathed and the words appeared on the page. Now that's not how he did it. We're gonna see how he did it. 
but everything in scripture is as if God says it directly, right? It is the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says it this way, speaking of the power of God's word. It says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing through the, the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, we saw there in Romans, right before, that we are to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. How does God transform us? The Holy Spirit uses scripture probably more than anything to transform us. Because as we read it, we'll go, ooh, that's not how I believe. Or it will reveal certain sins in my heart, which is why maybe it's good for us not to read it. Because God is going to reveal things in us where we need to change. That's what scripture does. It has power that nothing else has that kind of power. Do you know uh, every other religion, their, their spiritual books, their scripture was written by one person, right? The Quran was written by Muhammad, who was illiterate. And so he dictated it and somebody else wrote it down, right? Uh, Buddhism, Buddha wrote all of the seven paths, or I, I don't know all the details, but I know it was just written by him, uh, right? The Book of Mormon, one guy, Joseph Smith, and he read gold tablets. The angels showed him and then took him away. Nobody else ever saw him. The Bible, 66 books written by 40 different authors, on three different continents, in three different languages, over a span of 1,500 years. One story. That's different. That's miraculous. And that we know we have what was originally written through the historical accounts and the, the manuscripts that we have. We know we have what was written. The Bible is unique. Uh, we actually have a, we call it the Bible reliability handout. Um, it's out on the info table if you're curious. Because again, our faith is based on scripture. Grab that and, and you can read through. I want to understand a little bit more why we can trust the Bible and not other religious books or what makes us unique. Grab that. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a better version. Uh, we're kind of making it cooler and easier to use. So if you want to wait for that one, it's coming out in a couple of weeks. But this is, this is how we have what, what we believe. Now go back to Romans 10, 9 and 10. Back to belief. So what does the Bible teach about belief? Right here, Jesus is Lord. That's his identity. And us confessing him as the one in charge, right? And he rose from the dead. More on that in a few weeks. But those are the things that we must believe, that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. Meaning, if he didn't have a body, he didn't rise. From, we, so that's already out. Jesus had a physical body. He physically rose from the dead. Now, I already mentioned that belief, it's heart. And that's what he says here in Romans 10, 9 and 10. With the heart one believes and is justified. That word, all right, sometimes we get theological, oh, these words I don't understand. This is where we do want to dig in a little bit. The word justified means right with God. It is, it is a judicial term, right? In a court, I declare you innocent, not guilty, right with the Father. That's what that means. Believing in your heart makes you right with the Father through Jesus' death and resurrection. I mean, the, the gospel is kind of summed up in that. Then the mouth confesses. True belief is not the same as knowledge. This is important. Belie I believe is not the same as claiming knowledge. There is a response of confession. There is a response of confession. Now, again, I want to reiterate, the gospel does not begin with anything to do but with belief. But belief is not the same as knowledge. For example, I know I'm supposed to go to the dentist every six months and get a cleaning. I don't believe I need to. Otherwise, I would do it. 
<laughs> right? Uh, I went five years once without going, and all they said was, you need to floss more. And then a couple years, I went every six months, and you know what they said every time? You need to floss more. I don't, right? So it's like, oh, I know, I, but I don't believe. Uh, East Valley, speed limit's 25. I don't believe that applies to me. <laughs> I know that's the speed limit, but I, right? But a school zone, 15, I believe in that one, right? There's a, I, I'm going to go the speed limit through a school, you know, kids all over. What we believe and what we know is not always the same thing, right? Action, the response shows what we truly believe. And the word here is confession. Yes, we confess it with our mouth, but it's also a life confession. Does our life conform to what we are saying is true? That's confession. It, it's, I mean, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Let's read this one more time. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses, and is saved. The Apostles' Creed and this claim right here, Jesus is Lord, they were both creeds. They were something someone would declare. In the early church, what would happen if you declared that publicly was trouble. Uh, during the, the time the Apostles' Creed was written, it, it could mean you were killed, right? It could mean you were sacrificed to lions in Rome. I mean, that, that happened. Uh, if you were in a Jewish family, it could be you were kicked out of the family. You lost your job. You lost your income. Right? Confessing was a big deal because you're, you're putting out there, I am, I am being united. I'm saying the same thing as this group says about what is true, and I'm rejecting what y'all say is true. It was a big deal to confess. There were real consequences in life. So confession, again, justification based on belief leads to confession. You've probably heard this illustration, but I, I'm going to use it again because I think it's so good. Uh, there was a, a tightrope walker, tightrope set across a, a, a waterfall, I think it was. Maybe it was even Niagara Falls, I'm not sure. Um, early 1900s, and, and this guy would get a, you know, do his thing, do, 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 and, you know, all these people are watching. Um, and he says, you think I could do it with a wheelbarrow? Yeah, right. And he gets out there with the wheelbarrow, right. He comes back, who believes that I can do this with somebody in it? Oh, yeah, you're really good. Yeah, yeah. All right, who's going to get in it? Right? Now, finally, a reporter did. <laughs> I mean, this guy did ball and got in the wheelbarrow, right? That's faith. That's belief, right? We read scripture, what it says about God, what the creed clarifies that scripture teaches, and we say, I believe that, and I'm in, <laughs> right? I'm placing my whole self in your hands, God. That's belief which leads to a, a changed life, but also why are we going through this? It leads to joy, it leads to confidence, it leads to hope and security. That's what happens when we get to know God better, he creates those things. Kind of a, a side note, uh, the, the pastor of First Baptist Church called me this morning. His 11-year-old daughter has terminal brain cancer, diagnosed on Friday. So he, you know, he texted early this morning, you know, can we talk, and I, and I called him. He says, it's, it's terminal, um, it's inoperable, but we're going to know more tomorrow. I mean, it's just one of those, like, it, he said, there's, the only way is if God does a miracle. <laughs> but in our time, he knows God, and yeah, he was in tears while we're, but yet his hope <laughs> and his faith came through. 
that he, he knows who's in charge. And so he's going to be able to walk through this. That church family, they're, they're going to be able to walk through this. Is it good? No. <laughs> right? Is he? No. But they know who's good. So going through this, understanding these things adds value to our life, gives confidence and security and hope. Because the Apostles' Creed will help us grow deep roots into what we believe. That's that third C, the idea of complete. You know, a lot of times, again, it's kind of like the, the taking the pieces we want. Oh, I like this part, but I'm going to reject that part, right? We need to be complete, you know, well-rounded, we, all of it. When life happens, where do you go? And, and by the way, life's going to happen if it hasn't happened yet. If it hasn't happened yet, you're probably only five and you're not in the room. But, but life, life happens. Where do we go? It, it's, it's the idea of roots, right? Maybe, so I planted a tree a couple of years ago. Uh, planted, put this tree in the ground, excited, I, I don't even remember, uh, it was a pine tree. The next year, the pine tree hadn't, hadn't grown, right? It's not, it's not doing good. I reached, and I just pulled it out of the ground like that. The, the roots were rotten. They, they, had never, they had never grown, they'd never gone anywhere. Whereas other trees, you know, we got these poplar ones. Those roots are every, right? Good luck moving one of those. In fact, we used to have uh, some of those at our old house, and that's what we tied the zip line to, right? Because it's not going anywhere. We want our roots deep into God's word, right? So that when life happens, we know what to, con we know the truth, right? If as we go through this, there, there's some that you're like, ooh, I don't really understand this. Or I'm not sure I believe that or, I, or I'm weak on that. Guess what? That's a shallow root and that's okay. But, but dig, let's get that root deeper, right? If you need more information, again, fill out uh, an information card, put it in, we'll, we'll get a hold of you. If you're in a group, talk to other people in your group, but do not go past, ooh, I'm, I'm sh this root's shallow in my life. Don't just ignore that. Go deep because again, it helps make us complete to go through all aspects of life, right? In holiness, in godliness, again, in confidence and in hope. This is what the creed is good for. So what we're going to do is we're going to recite the creed together. Now, if you're here and you can't, that's okay, right? Don't, don't be guilted into it, but we are going to read it as a confession that we are in, right? Jesus is my Lord, and I believe what believers for 2,000 years have believed. I am in. Again, if you don't want to, don't, right? You can stand there, you can be silent. But if you can't, then afterward you need to come see me. I'm going to be in the back and I'd love to talk with you and pray with you. Maybe as we go through this, you say, I have not confessed Jesus as Lord. And today is the day of salvation. You, you read, I do believe this and I need to with my mouth confess it. Come see me and we can pray together. We can talk about that. But as we wrap up and move to worship, let's read this together. Do we have this on the screen? Yes, we do. So do me a favor. Let's stand up. Hey, this is what they've been doing for the last, okay, eight, 1,850 years, because the creed was a little bit later, right? But this is what the church has been doing. So let's read this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the grave. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven 
and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Father in heaven, we confess this, that we believe it. We believe in our hearts that, Jesus, you are Lord, you are divine. We believe in the Trinity. We believe, Jesus, you died on the cross for us and you rose from the dead. We believe and we want you to be Lord of our lives. We want our lives to match our verbal confession. So, God, if some of us in here know that our lives aren't aligning, convict us of that. Uh, give us the courage to maybe confess that to someone else. Um, give us the courage to do something so our lives will align with our verbal confession. And Father, I do pray that if anyone is in this room and they see this, they say, I do believe that, or I want to believe that, but I have doubts. God, give them the boldness and courage to come talk to me right now. We can look at scripture, we can pray. But God, I thank you for the confidence you give us that your scripture is so clear and there is so much in it. We love you. And because of Jesus, what you've done for us, that we could be justified, not by works, but by faith. We're gonna sing and glorify you because you are worthy and we're going to sing for the rest of eternity because we love you. You are God and you are worthy. In your name, amen.